You're listening to Fireside Chats Without the Fires podcast, where customer experience enthusiasts are inspired by our weekly CX practitioners and thought leaders who share their insights and knowledge. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. Fireside Chats Without the Fires, Friday, May 7th, 2021. Uh, Paul and I are continuing on a wonderful series of interviews with authors of the recently published Customer Experience 3 book. Uh, we are going to be joined, we're going to introduce Anna in just a second, with a forward-thinking and thought-provoking author uh, that has personally made me reassess uh, some of the viewpoints that I've had around something called platform business. I promise we're going to get into that in just a second, but it is an exciting day. It is Season two, episode 12, and the title of today's episode is Platforms, Communities, and Customer Experience. And as we said with Anna just before we started, lions, tigers, and bears, great things always come in threes. Uh, platforms, communities, and customer experiences. Welcome to the show, Anna Noakes Schulze. I hope I pronounced each of her names correctly, and I know she's going to correct me if I didn't, but Anna Noakes Schulze, welcome. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you very much for having me. And you you pretty much got that right. Anna Oak Schulze. So <laughs> I think that was a pretty good first attempt, actually. Good, good. Perfect. Uh, for those that don't know Anna, as or as you know, I always like to go right to the LinkedIn profile and I will um, share with you. Anna is the senior partner for customer experience at Ecodynamics. She's also the founding member and platform advisor to a really great new community called Women in CX. Um, Anna is a generator of content on LinkedIn. Um, it is really great content to consume. Follow her if you're not already doing so on LinkedIn. And as I had just recently alluded to, she is a contributing author to the uh, Customer Experience 3 book that just recently come out, has come out. Um, there are, I don't remember the exact number of authors. We've, we've had some on, we're gonna have many more on to come. Uh, but she is in the hot seat today as we're going to review her about her particular topic, which is uh, a really unique one. Um, the topic is about platform business. And when I first uh, heard of Anna on, on LinkedIn, I thought platforms. And I asked her directly, platforms, you mean like technology platforms? Like tech stack? Like what do you, what, what's this plat- what do you mean platforms? And she very correctly uh, and appropriately corrected me. No, I was not correct. And she made me feel good about it. But uh, <laughs> this is a great topic of the moment. Um, the title of her chapter is Three Keys to Customer Experience Platform Business. And, and I'd like, Anna, if we could just ask so that everyone gets aligned with you. When you talk about platforms, what are you specifically referring to? Well, there's a lot of confusion about the word platforms because they're used so, that word is used so differently in different environments. So for a lot of CX people and customer service people, a platform means a kind of software suite or um, a customer data platform, right? That's one instance. If you look for platforms on Instagram, you're going to find really, really tall shoes. You know, that's another thing. But for us, um, for people in the business community, platforms are a fundamentally different business model from traditional pipeline businesses, um, which, you know, we all know and love pipeline businesses basically Uh, create value for customers along a linear value chain. And that value is delivered by by employees 
there's um, marketing and then sales and distribution, and it's all one way flow. The company creates the value and the consumer or the customer in a B2B setting consumes the value at the end. And that's how it works. But with platforms, you have something very, very different happening. A platform is basically bringing different players together to exchange value. And in a platform business, they don't necessarily own or even create the resources. They're orchestrating access to those resources. You know, and a great example to that would be um, Uber, for example. They don't own cars. What they do is they have a platform that brings together riders and drivers. And that's a really simple way to understand what a platform business is. It's all about bringing sides together to create value, to, to co-create value in a sense, and to uh, provide the environment that allows interactions between the various parties and exchange of value. And that is the core of a platform business. Super, so we have as examples, uh, Uber, like Amazon certainly. Amazon uh, certainly. Uh, Airbnb, I think is one that we would come Indeed. to mind, right? Are there other examples? Yeah, I mean, I, I particularly like um, um, Blah Blah Car, which is an example from the sharing economy where you have like Uber, you have riders and drivers, but it's, it's, it's basically the, the drivers are not offering to take you anywhere you want to go. They're saying, I'm driving from point A to point B. Is there anyone who would like to, to join and cost share? You know, so there's, there's lots of examples like that. Um, the main thing to know is that in the last 20 years, platform businesses have become so dominant that they've gone from two out of the top 10 biggest companies in the world by market capitalization to eight out of the top 10. And that's a real, that's a seismic shift. That is an incredible change in the business landscape. And my concern as a CX person is that because our expertise has been developed for traditional pipeline businesses, we're kind of missing this significant shift that's happening. We, we understand about platforms as users. They're you know, I can remember the exact moment when I bought my first textbooks on Amazon instead of waiting in, you know, for hours in line at the, the campus bookstore, which is how it used to be. You know, so these platform businesses, they've completely changed our lives. And but they've become almost like the air, we, the oxygen in the air we breathe. You know, we don't it's there and we need it, but we don't even notice it's there. And so in the customer experience profession, we're still dealing with companies as if they're all pipeline businesses, when in fact, a significant portion of the, the economy has moved to platforms. And so the question is for us is making sure that, you know, in our zeal to have customer experience standards and core competencies and all of this stuff, all of that standardization and professionalization that we've done, especially in the last five or six years, that's, that's great and it's important as a, as a starting point. But standards and innovation are always a little bit at odds with each other. So as we standardize as a profession, we must not forget that we have to keep learning, we have to keep innovating, and we have to keep adapting to the way that business is done now if we're going to stay relevant. There's a great set of statistics that you share in your chapter, and I'm just going to read from them, about the sheer size and importance in the overall economy of platform businesses. And I'm just going to quote, Investors consistently value platforms at higher multiples, nearly nine times revenue for platforms versus only two to four times revenue for pipeline businesses. Worldwide, platforms are nearly 60% of all unicorns, which are the uh, privately held startups valued at at least $1 billion. 
So 60% of unicorns are platform businesses. And then the final one is the World Economic Forum estimates that 70% of new value created in the economy over the next decade will be based on digitally enabled platform business models. Yeah, these are not going anywhere. This is part of our life. It's like the air it's you huge. breathe. I love that, that, that comparison. So this leads me to a next question, which is kind of the so what? So yes, uh, these are obviously part of our economy. But so interesting, how did you get interested and why is it relevant, the customer experience angle of these businesses? I, I don't think many people are paying attention to that particular element of it. And yet so many of us are customers of these places. I think it's a really unique um, uh, approach to something that uh, not as many people are really looking at today. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that almost happened by by pure chance, you know, in a way, because I was I was sort of interested in platforms. I didn't know anybody who um, was working in customer experience in those areas. And I ended up meeting an entrepreneur in Dusseldorf, um, the CEO of Ecodynamics, and uh, which is a, a digital business and, and platform advisory. And he had done two master's degrees at MIT, working on um, business strategy and, and platform business models in particular. And, um, and was working with a professor there who was one of my former professors at the University of Michigan School of Information. So there was a connection there. And as I got to, to explore digital business as not just representative of pipelines, but also platform businesses too, I realized that there's, there's a whole literature around platform businesses, um, you know, whether it's academic researchers or, or, or people in the field. And they're describing customer experience scenarios that are essential to making platforms work. But they're doing this without necessarily input from the official customer experience community because we don't focus on platforms. So there's this disconnect here. Do we want to be part of that conversation about customer experience and platform environments? And I'm, I'm trying to tell people this is incredibly important. We should pay attention to this. And when business models change and the way we do CX needs to change too. And so those, those three keys to customer experience for platform businesses that I proposed in my chapter, and I've been speaking about it too, that's distilled from the platform literature, trying to understand what are the success factors? What can we bring from the customer experience side that helps platform businesses succeed? And, and that's how I came up with um, value, usability, and trust as sort of the three core components that impact on customer experience and that can function as business drivers and platform businesses. So you literally just created the segue that I wanted to, 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 to offer, which was to ask you, what are those three key, key keys that you mentioned in your chapter? So you just, you just mentioned them. Uh, number one being value, number two being usability, number three, trust. Walk us through right. what those mean and, and kind of why those things are so important in customer experience. Sure. So, Put simply, value is what that platform is bringing to the customer or to the platform participants. It's the, the, the thing they're looking for. And, that, and that the term from the platform community that describes this particular concept is it's the core interaction that the platform is designed to do. So in the case of Uber, for example, matching riders and drivers. The core value is somebody who is willing to drive somebody is going to get a passenger and that passenger is going to get a ride. So the core interaction of the platform enables that transaction to happen. 
where the, the match is made and a payment is made as well. So yeah, value, it has it, to solve a about, real, sorry? It's not just about price then, it's not just about prices. It's, no, it's no, no, more no, no. Than price. Um, and, and the best way I think for CX people to understand core interaction and to understand value on a platform is the platform is performing some kind of function that solves a real customer problem. Perfect. So that's, and then the second that's, one. that's the value. Second one, usability. Well, you know, user experience is, is my particular background. That's what I studied at university. Um, and my focus on customer experience has always been digital interfaces and how those digital um, artifacts mediate the, re the relationship with the customer. But usability is, I think it almost, at this day and age, it goes without saying for any kind of digital interface that it's got to be convenient, it's got to be fast, it's got to be reliable, it's got to be relatively friction-free because that's what's enabling those, those transactions to occur. And that's what's keeping people on the website. So you could offer some great value, but if the usability isn't there, it's going to be very difficult to build that business because people have expectations about usability that have been cultivated from all the contacts they've had with Amazon over the years and all the contacts they've had with, with online businesses that, um, that work well for the customer. So there's a history and all of those traditional um, usability heuristics are applicable in platforms just as they would be for any digital business. Does but journey mapping come into play here? I assume I, journey mapping helps if companies that do journey mapping uh, the outcome of what they've done fits right into the second point of usability. It does, that it does, because it's it's about understanding the process that the customer has to go through and then making sure that your platform is or your digital business is designed to accommodate that in in an easy, convenient, friction-free way. So that's that's really, really important. But the thing that's significantly different with platforms is trust. So normally if you're on a say, for example, um, an e-commerce website, the only trust that you need to have is with that, with that retailer, for example. You have to be pretty confident that you'll give them your money and they will send the product to you. So that's, that's one level of trust between you and the actual um, organization. But platforms have a different level of trust that they need to have, and that's between the participants on the platform. And trust greases the wheels Trust is what enables interactions to happen. And if you think about an example like, like Blablacar or even Uber, you're, if you're a driver, you're going to have a stranger come into your car. That's an intimate space. You're going to have to trust that <laughs> they won't do anything terrible and that they're who they say they are. And this is especially true in the sharing economy, the importance of trust, but it's basically any kind of, of platform business. It's really interesting you mentioned this. So I just personally, I was talking with someone who uh, took an Uber ride yesterday and uh, as a passenger. And the exchange, the conversation between passenger and driver was around each other's ratings. So the, the driver felt comfortable picking this particular passenger up because she had a, a certain level of, of rating. And the same thing, the passenger felt comfortable because the driver that she was assigned to also had a specific rating. And she's told me that she will reject drivers if she sees that the rating is not within a certain range. That's trust, right? It, that's exactly right. You've seized on a great example there. 
because what what Uber and uh, and Airbnb and and BlaBlaCar here in France, what they're doing is they're creating pillars of digital trust. And when they say pillars of trust, that means it's not just a it's it's not a monolith. They're they're approaching trust from different angles. So the driver ratings on on Uber, that's one pillar of digital trust. Another one would be the passenger ratings. Um, and then in terms of blah, blah, car, they also have, um, you, you have to be registered under your real name. You have to have um, a profile that's filled out. So it's not anonymous. Another aspect of trust is the fact that you know who it is you're dealing with. You know, so any any kind of platform or, or, or even an online community that allows people to interact anonymously is degrading trust. It means you don't really know who you're dealing with. You don't know if they're who they say they are. So that's that's hugely important in, in any kind of um, in any kind of transaction environment online, but also any kind of platform that goes beyond transactions to relational issues. You have to know who you're dealing with. So you have to trust the other participants on the platform to make this work. And you have to trust the platform itself in terms of your security, your privacy, things like that. And we all know lots of examples from social media where they've maybe violated trust in various ways or they haven't created the right rules of governance to make sure that, that people feel safe in that environment. So that th those three, value, usability, and trust, they're really the big three non-negotiables for, for platform businesses. And that's so, that's so that's the top level, that's the high level. If you wanna talk about online community CX success factors, that's the second level. And they require everything I just mentioned for platforms, but they need some other factors too that I've distilled from online community research, engagement, stickiness, belonging, and culture. So there's four more factors there. And then if you wanna even go further to a third level, what about professional community success factors. Then you need all of those things that I mentioned, and you might need some other highly specific things like knowledge sharing, quality of content, and diversity of views. So you can really start to build out a profile. What kind of platform business is it? Is it transactional? Is it relational like an online community? And then you can build out what those CX success factors are for every kind of platform business. And I think this is this is an area where we need to be involved in this. We need to be participating in this and we need to be adding to the conversation. I love the reference in your chapter uh, when you start to talk about communities to the John Deere example. Mm -hmm. um, could you give, just walk us through that just slightly and we don't want you to put out a spoiler alert because we want people to read the chapter, read the book and read your chapter. Uh, but just a couple of ideas of why John Deere is a great example of communities and um, the importance and when, when we talk about, about CX, why is it relevant? Why did you particularly mention it? I was really fascinated by it and would love for you to share that with the audience. This one is, this example of John Deere is actually quite near and dear to me. And the reason for that is that a lot of people think that platform businesses are, um, you know, they're, they're hyper-modern, um, asset light, digital rich businesses. They belong to the, you know, the new millennium that we're in now. And they think that if you're a traditional business or a product-based business that you couldn't possibly, you know, adopt a platform business model. And 
what John Deere did, they, that you know them as the number one manufacturer of farming equipment in the world. And that alone is, 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 is tremendous value. However, they were able to recognize that a platform strategy was potentially extremely helpful to their customers in terms of uh, linking equipment with meteorological data, historical data, all kinds of different partners who are part of that ecosystem that add value for the farmers and help them to, to, to do their jobs better and more efficiently and hopefully more successfully. So it's leveraging those ecosystem effects to create more values for customers. And what that means, if, what I'm saying is that if John Deere can do that, potentially any business can do that. You know, and look at Peloton as well, for example. They're not just selling equipment. They're selling a connected experience that, that people become fantastically enthusiastic about. I think I read just today, they have a 94 NPS score, which is almost unheard of, you know? So this is fanatical levels of, of loyalty we're talking about, you know, and people who are, you know, I, do, I don't have a Peloton myself, so disclaimer there, but um, people who do have Pelotons, they are part of a global community. They are joining Facebook groups um, that are very specific to, to, to their interests. They're having actual conversations and, and Peloton isn't jealous about this. You know, they, they are happy to have people connect they love it, right? on other platforms. Like they're, they're, they don't own Facebook, for example, their conversations about Peloton going on there. And, 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 and they kind of amplify their message through all these different channels. But, you know, they could have, they could have at some point just decided just to sell stationary bikes. Think about what is a, what a different business that is, what they've created. You know, and I think Nike is doing that too. Nike has a connected environment as well. So it's not just shoes or sports equipment, you know, but it, but what I'm talking about here is first of all, adding an extra level of value for customers through these partnerships and associations that you link together in, a, in an ecosystem, but it's also creating this almost fanatical brand loyalty, you know, things that marketers would kill to have, and you don't have to spend anything on marketing, but it, your customers are doing it for themselves. You know, sure. they're becoming it's your biggest evangelists. Yeah. Democratic, isn't it? it? It Well, it's grassroots for sure. It's grassroots for sure. I think that consumers are all created equal. Everyone has a voice. Everyone can publish. Everyone can like. Everyone can share. Everyone can review. It's very democratic. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what time zone you're in. It doesn't matter how much you purchase. It doesn't matter how loyal or not a customer you are. Everyone has approximately the same voice and ability to express it. Indeed. Perfect. I'm going to totally change gears here. Um, we're close to going down the... Uh, we get to get into the final third of the of of the show, but before I do that, I want to ask you a unique question. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, that fascinated me about uh, your LinkedIn profile, as I read through it originally, was that you are Canadian, mm -hmm. uh, educated in the U.S. I think, if I remember yes. correctly, living in Germany, Germany. Yes. So part of a European and very global CX community. What is that experience like? Yes. Actually, it's, it's incredible. You've, you've even left out other countries that I've lived in <laughs> along the way, including in Asia. 
So I've actually lived on three different continents. And um, in the time that I've been in Germany, I've been able to take advantage of how, you know, how close all other countries are to us. I got involved in Awards International, uh, judging at the um, International Customer Experience Awards, which is in Amsterdam. It's not very far away from me. And, um, and they had brought in judges from all over the world. It was quite incredible. But also incredible was that the Netherlands supplied something like 70 or 75 out of 100 judges on that the first time that I went. You know, and, and I was representing Germany with only two or three people who were judges. And, it's, and, and Germany is a country nearly five times the size of the Netherlands. So it really told me something culturally that CX is huge in the Netherlands. You know, I think they might have had some of the first uh, CCXPs there as well. So mm -hmm. I connected with a nearby community that was maybe much more committed to customer experience than what I knew here in Germany. Actually made me feel a bit lonely at first because there was so much CX activity there. Also have to put in a word for CX Brussels as well. That's also relatively nearby me and they're very active as well. But then it was really, um, you know, and I connected with a lot of these people through LinkedIn, but it was really during the pandemic that uh, people started to say, well, we're not getting together in person anytime soon, but now we can get together with whoever we want, you know, and, and you probably experienced too, the, the Zoom, endless Zoom meetings were a bit exhausting at first, but after a while, and you realize this uh, situation is going to take a while to resolve with the coronavirus, and we may be stuck doing this. I, I speaking personally, I no longer feel any exhaustion with, with Zoom anymore, and I, I look forward to it. But then this was the beginning of connecting with, you know, the entire global community of CX. And I found that when you have that, that interest in common, and, and I think CX people are generally pretty social and pretty connection friendly anyway, but when you have that common background and that common interest of, of helping um, businesses get results through customer experience, you can connect with anybody in the world. And so that became sort of the wider background. And now with the women in CX community, in two months, we've gone from 12 founding members to 60. There are about 500 women on the waiting list waiting to join. And we've been beta wow. testing the community. We've been doing uh, journey mapping. We've been doing uh, um, co-design lab where the founding members work together on resolving uh, design issues or planning new features or events. So there's this whole internal culture of, of, of events and activities, which is going on on a daily basis, but it also spills out into, into LinkedIn, into Instagram, into other you know, environments. And the funny thing is, you don't have to keep all your interactions on the platform for them to be strong. And these other interactions that you have outside on other platforms like social media, they actually strengthen the bonds. So what we're, what we're doing is basically learning how to create a digital a digital community where it actually doesn't matter in the least where we physically are. And that's going to be quite powerful for businesses as well as they start thinking about, well, what can we do to add more value to our customers? What can we do to bring them together in a, into a community and support them the way they want to be supported? And how is that going to build brand strength for this company? And, and these are things we, we all have to think about. You know, you have three strategies when it comes to platforms and ignoring is not one of them. You can build, buy, or join. So build means bespoke. You're going to do it yourself. Buy, off the shelf solution, or join. You're going to join somebody's somebody else's ecosystem, basically. 
And then the one thing you have to be aware of is whoever owns the platform has the most control because they own all of the data. So case in point, Amazon, they have their own products that they're selling and they're directly competing with their own partners who are also selling, but who has all the data? Who has all the sales data? The one who owns the platform. So the, the cheapest and easiest way to get involved in a platformization strategy is to join, but then you have the least control. That's the important thing to know. And if you're going to build your own platform from scratch, that's major, major commitment. But then there are these off-the-shelf yeah. solutions that might work for, for almost any business. And I, I really think you have to, to take this seriously as a, a possible strategy going forward. Even if you say I'm a hundred-year-old farm manufacturer company or or you know I, I I don't think my business suits this you have to follow the trail of where is their value for the customer and how can you either provide it create it co-create it with them it's all about value so you need to create that value trust greases the wheels and then you better make sure your platform has great usability so that's something they don't even have to think about this is great thank, thank you for sharing that I want to ask you um three kind of parting questions that we ask all of our guests. Uh, I'm really excited to, to, to share your responses to these. Okay. Um, the, the first one is we always like to ask our guests, is there a CX myth that you would like to bust wide open? Something that's out there commonly held, commonly believed that maybe you just don't really believe in, you think is a pile of, you know what, that you can take an ax to. Take the ax to it, destroy it, blow it up. What, what would that thing or what would those things be? Well, I just want to talk about one because I think it's it's absolutely mega. You, you, we all know about the rise of customer experience and the rise of awareness about customer experience in recent years. And so there's this popular idea that businesses are competing exclusively on experience now. So CX people, naturally, we know about all the benefits of CX. And so we believe that CX is always a business driver. This is actually not true. This leads to some really novice errors. So we need to understand when is it a when is the business driver and when is it not. So there's a couple of basic conditions to make that statement true. CX is a business driver when the following conditions are true. One of them is that it's a competitive marketplace. And because we're so used to competitive marketplaces, we assume it's always competitive, but it's actually not. A monopoly, for example, has no competition and any investment made in CX is just going to reduce the revenues because it will not change the outcomes in terms of customer base. So that's the first thing. It has to be competitive. Two, customers have to have a reasonable option to switch. So if there's no competition or little competition or they're locked in in some way, they can't switch. And in that case, CX is not a very powerful business driver. And then the third thing is commodities businesses, obviously. If the only deciding factor is price, and, and believe me, commodities are a brutal business to be in. If the only deciding factor is price, then CX is not a business driver. And this is where we get all tangled up, you know, we CX experts, because when we see a business that's successful, we assume it's because of CX, because that's what makes sense to us. But what we have to realize is that the presence of customers in itself is not de facto proof that a company is customer centric. It's not de facto proof that they have a great customer experience strategy. All it means when a business has customers is some exchange of value is taking place. That's all that means. 
So you get into an example like um, an ultra low cost carrier like Ryanair. And, and I, I can practically set my clock by this. Every couple of months, there's going to be a post on LinkedIn where somebody says, Ryanair, I don't know if you guys know them across in the, the States, sure. but they're ultra low cost carrier. And people will say, Ryanair has the best customer experience in the world, controversy alert, this is my view. They know their customers so perfectly, they deliver exactly what they want, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's, that's, that's fine, that's a point of view. But the fact is that, that what Ryanair and the other low cost carriers have achieved is they've taken something that we think of as a service and they have moved it into a commodities bucket, basically. Okay, so this is, this is called commoditization. And you could even argue, okay, so they're not Singapore Airlines. Singapore Airlines, for example, they're, they're up there with the very, very, very best airlines in the world. But then there's all these ones in the middle, right? The ones that are not so excellent, but hopefully not too terrible. Um, but if from the, the customer point of view, if they don't see any difference in the value that they're getting from these, these middle market carriers, that creates an opening for a low cost carrier because the customer is going to say, well, if I'm going to be uncomfortable and cramped for eight hours anyway, I might as well just pay the lowest price. So this is, it, it was the lack of differentiation on a customer basis at the middle of the, the airline market that created that opportunity for low cost carriers like Ryanair and, and others. But it's part of a commoditization strategy basically. And so as soon as you're into that commodities bucket, CX is not the driver it is if it were say a normal airline service. And a lot of CX people I see over and over again that they don't understand that 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 basic idea. I love this. You you, you really busted this one up because I I see on oh, LinkedIn yeah. the, the most common quoted one is something around the lines of CX is the new marketing, and there's certainly some truth to that. CX is a a component of marketing, but it's not the only component of it. All the other things you talked about, the brand promise the business model, market conditions, all of those things are other critical factors. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, get, we, get, we get so focused on, you know, customer experience specifically, we don't realize all of the other factors that go into it. Yeah, yeah this is great. All right, so here's, we, we went through the first third of the final third. I'm going to go to the second part of the final third. Okay. A CX quote that means something to you, and I'm going to uh, read it because I have it right in front of me. This is a great quote. I really like that you shared this. The CX quote that meant something to Anna Noakes Schulze, emphasis on my pronunciation, hopefully there. The, here it goes, the quote, the businesses that aspire to a higher purpose will outperform businesses that focus on the bottom line. People aspire to be part of something bigger than themselves. Give them something to align with to create a sense of belonging. Give them something to talk about. Give them a reason to share experiences. And that's from Brian. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Solis. Brian Solis. Solis. Yeah. Brian Solis. I, Great quote. I, I absolutely love that that quote because, you know, if you're talking about you know, experiences, everything for business now, then you have to recognize what kind of experiences you're creating. You have to be really, really focused on that. And I think the whole comment, this whole point about having having a higher purpose of which you know, connecting people is, is a pretty big one. That's something that businesses should really be focusing on. What is their higher purpose? What, is the, what are their core values? How do they manifest that in their CX? You know, and in the example we gave with the, with the various carriers, 
you also have to remember that that customer experience has to be measured against the brand promise. It's never a set of abstract ideals. It's always related to that. So in that case, you could say quite fairly that you you must expect a higher level of customer experience from Singapore Airlines than you would, you know, Ryanair. But I think um, probably my very favorite example of higher purpose and the power of platforms comes from Blablacar in France, who uh, last year, when the pandemic really took hold, they, in a matter of something like 10 days, they created an, an app called Blabla Help, which connected their Blablacar community to reach out to others in their community and offer help to people who were homebound for whatever reasons, quarantine, they were, they were ill, there was too much risk in going out. And Blablacar's community started picking up prescriptions, started picking up groceries and driving them to other community members. And this for me is really, really exciting because it's so easy to think about a, a platform as a, a transactional kind of business, right? You give me this and I give you that. But the really good ones, and the, and the sharing economy is full of examples of this, the really good ones actually create bonds between people. They, they create some community goodwill that you can leverage then for, for public good. And I think that's an incredible offshoot of, of, of a, a business that gets the customer experience right. Suddenly it's more than customer experience. You can actually do good in the real world. With this. You can help people. You can create positive changes that you want to see. You can mobilize people for, for a higher purpose. And that's, that's brilliant. That's why I focus a lot on the positive side of platforms. I know there's a negative side to monopoly powers, you know, uh, abuse of the, the power they have, treating people poorly who are de facto workers. You know, we all know examples like, like that. But, um, but the, the potential for good that they have if customer experience is factored into the design and the governance of these platforms from the beginning is, is quite incredible. And that's, that's what I hope people will take away from this and, and feel excited about. That's a purpose. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, here we go. Final third of the final third. You gave a great example of a CX hero, someone who I've seen more and more on, more and more of on LinkedIn, uh, a bit on Twitter, and in Clubhouse one of the newest, most important uh, uh, social media outlets, I think, for customer experience. Who is your CX Hero of the Week? And tell us a little bit about your relationship with this person and the community that she's founded. I think it's a great story here. Yeah. So you you asked me for, was it my CX Hero of the Day or the Week? I forget which one it was. But CX Hero, um, we call it, I think, the CX Hero of the Week, but then you took an interesting... You took a different angle here with yeah. CX Hero of the Week, Claire, right? Claire Muscat is basically my CX Hero of the year. She, uh, she was deeply affected by uh, coronavirus, uh, the downturn in business. You've probably heard this many CX people, especially solopreneurs and people at small consultancies had, uh, had their businesses slammed when everyone put the brakes on. Um, and she had to um, really become creative about how she was going to position her business and what she could do and where she could add value to the community. And she is a very community-minded person anyway, but she created Women in CX so that we could have a space to share experiences, share ideas, uh, learn from each other in a very, very trusted environment. So she put, she put trust and value 
at, at the core of this platform that she's building. And she used an off the shelf um, platform called Mighty Networks so that she knew that the usability would also be good from the beginning. So she nailed those first three success factors. And in the two months that the beta version has been running with just the founding members, this tiny kernel of what the community will eventually be, um, she's proven that she can master engagement, stickiness, belonging, culture. She's done all of this right. And there's such a tremendous level of uh, activity and excitement and connection on this platform that I already feel pretty strongly that it's going to be a tremendous success. And I'm going to be writing a, a, a white paper sort of describing the genesis of, of the women in CX community and how it continues to develop. And this is the most perfect um, case that we can make for CX know-how, first of all, contributing to a successful platform, and then above and beyond that, contributing to a successful online community. So it really showcases how the knowledge that we have is needed in the platform community. It's needed in the online community community, which is a thing, by the way. <laughs> And we need to make sure that we're not so focused on our traditional core business, which is pipeline businesses, that we don't expand outward into these other areas where we are needed and we could be making a contribution. Thank you. That, that was great. And Claire, when you hopefully listen to this, get ready. An invitation is coming your way. You're gonna, we're going to have you on this podcast at some point. <laughs> hopefully we'll have a future guest in, in Claire. And kudos to her for the work that she's done. She's Paul. amazing. Yeah, Paul, we are we are wrapping up here, and I did not ask you, because I already know, but here it is. As we conclude this amazing session today with Anna, you are feeling what? Uh, well, it's Friday. It's, it's Fireside Chats Friday. I am buzzing. I am absolutely buzzing. This has been a wonderful experience. Anna, thank you so, so much for giving up your time so freely to us for us to have this wonderful conversation, and it's very nice to finally be able to speak to somebody who has a British surname, such as myself. <laughs> so we are, we, we are out there. We are living in the CX community. In, in small uh, numbers, but we're here. In small numbers, right, in small numbers. Anna, if it's okay, I do have two follow-on questions for you in terms of what you were just talking about there. So okay. uh, my first question relates to the platform uh, company. So in a traditional company setup, the owner of the CX experience would be the CX, the CX director or whatever, um, set a kind of, in a traditional environment. How does it work within the platform? Is it one owner? Is it, is it the owner of the platform plus the owner of, for example, Uber, so the drivers themselves? How does kind of the ownership of the CX experience work? Now, I can't really speak to the corporate structures of, of these various platform businesses. And, and you know already that the CXPA in particular likes to poll um, businesses to see how they've structured it. Who, who do the CX people report to? Is there a, a customer experience, uh, a chief experience officer or a chief customer yeah. officer? Does marketing own it? Does customer service own it? And if you've seen any of those results, you know the answers are all over the board. There isn't actually one place where customer experience lives in the organization because it's pre-sales and post-sale as well. And if you ever get a chance, look at Brian Solis's customer experience life cycle. He lays it out so beautifully about why customer experience actually touches every part of the, the organization. 
And I think that's that's really, really important to remember. So it's it's not really fair to expect the platform businesses to have this all figured out when traditional pipeline businesses that have been around for thousands of years haven't figured out yet exactly where they're going to put customer experience. But I can tell you, I did a talk for DB Schenker, the global logistics company based here in uh, Germany, yep. when they had an internal event called Get Inspired. And I spoke to them about customer centricity in the logistics business in particular. And I spoke about a rival of theirs called uh, DHL Freight, who had a very well publicized case study a few years ago where they basically created uh, a voice of the customer program from scratch and completely turned around what had seemed to be a commodities business by getting closer to their customers, understanding what they need and what they valued and what they would pay for, and then adjusting their business strategy accordingly so that they could differentiate themselves on experience and rise out of the soup of commodities type um, land freight providers. So I had to do that and get them, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, get them excited about CX and customer centricity and why that should matter to them. And, and they asked me, you know, well, wow, what if, if, if you know, if D.B. Schenker wanted to do that, how would we do it? And I told them, you have a customer experience division reporting directly to the board and managing cross-functional teams all the way through the organization. You see, I can say that because I'm an outside expert. I'm not going to pay the price of office politics later. So I told them, this is, this is how I think it should be done. You, you need a chief customer officer or a chief experience officer. You need that division reporting directly to the board. And you obviously, you need the, 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 full, um, you know, the full support of the board to make that a priority through the organization. And then I think by the time it trickles down to regional markets, you can, you can um, tailor it a little bit to what your individual conditions are, but you've got to have that CX vision from the top with full buy-in and support for executing that via your brand promise all the way through the organization. And I, and I think personally, that's how it should be done. Perfect, thanks. My last question relates to kind of the writing experience that you had for CX3. So how was the process? How, how did you feel when you were, you were a contributor to, 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 to the book rather than the book being your own? What was that process like? Actually, for me, it was, in, it was incredible because um, I, I knew that the first two books had been quite successful. They'd been very well received. And I, I knew almost all of the people who were contributing in, in the third book. I just, I wasn't sure how my chapter would fit with the book because it's not a traditional topic, but it did make sense to have it in the, uh, in the customer experience strategy section at the very end. And this, you know, and it, it, it's part of a, a bigger business strategy, but it bears directly on CX. And, uh, and it ended up being the 28th chapter of the book. So the last chapter of the last section of the book. And you know what, it, I haven't told anybody this, but it kind of tickled me a bit because way back in the day when I was a track and field athlete, I always ran the last leg of the relay. I always brought last it. Last leg, right? <laughs> Perfect. Anna, thank you so, so much. It's just been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Thank you. Group, it's as, it's as been wonderful on the, on talking to you both. It really was. Neil, Anna, thank you so much. So once again, um, for those that have not bought the book, it is Customer Experience 3. Uh, I personally have my uh, version on the Kindle. You can get a hard hardcover. I think it's hardcover or, or print version. Um, there's a, uh, there's a paperback version now. 
Yeah, the Kindle version okay. came out first and then the paperback version. Perfect. So absolutely run out and get it. Get it. There's great material in here. There's great things to learn from all, each of the authors that we've uh, had a chance to interview and will be interviewing, we're learning from. Uh, the wonderful thing is that there's nothing repeated in these chapters. You would think that with 28 or so authors, there's got to be some overlap and maybe you can fast. There's nothing. Everything is unique. It's it's um, it's original content and, and it is the value is just is just sensational. This is a no brainer to, to buy this book and, and just devour each and every chapter. Um, Anna, you were a superb guest. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I am I am one of the people that has always said I don't want to hear about Amazon. I don't want to hear about the big companies. There, you know, there's ten reasons that you know that I can think of off the top of my head why we shouldn't be talking about Amazon. And you made me rethink that because there there are angles that need to be talked about in the CX community. And you've certainly enlightened us and shared uh, your your work, your vision, your research. Uh, I've learned from this, and I think the audience certainly is going to. I've enjoyed. Having you here, Paul and I are buzzing, as, as he said, it wouldn't be a, a, <laughs> I think a I am fireside too. chat Friday without buzzing. Um, but thank you for your energy, your ideas, your contributions. And we look forward to cheering you on uh, to more content that you're going to produce and certainly following you in all the communities you participate in, as well as the um, women in CX community that you, 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 you shared with us. Thank you once That's again. Wonderful. Happy Friday to you. And, thank you. Uh, Same all to the you. best. Thank you for the endorsement okay. of the book. That's going to make a lot of people really happy. And me as well. Super. Thank you. Thank you. Fireside Chat Without the Fires, Season 2, Episode 12. Audience, if you're still with us, give us a rate, rating. Give us a review. It's important to us, just like we talked about in the communities. We want to know how we're doing. We want to make you feel trust with us. We want to make you feel valued. We want to make you feel part of our community. And one of our ways of doing so is getting feedback from you. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what we can do differently. Um, rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, email us, Twitter, tweet to us, uh, message us on LinkedIn or anywhere that you can find us. Um, I think you know where to find us already, but LinkedIn is certainly a, a common place. Uh, we appreciate it. Season two, episode 12. Once again, Anna Noakes Schulze. Great, amazing interview with her and look forward to having uh, future guests. Uh, authors from the Customer Experience 3 book. Thank you, audience. Happy weekend. Happy customer experiences. See you next week. The episode is over, but the conversation continues. Please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Post a comment and subscribe to stay on the leading edge of customer experience. To get in touch or be a guest, follow us on Twitter at ChatsFires or on LinkedIn or in your podcast repository of choice. Thank you.